many of you have been around Hope for a long time. Um, some of you, I don't recognize your faces, so that must mean not very long for some of you. Um, so we basically, as a, as a church family, have got a culture um, of worship. And so what I want to do today is just really um, unpack a little bit of that. Um, and so I just, um, I'm trusting that Holy Spirit is going to um, go away and teach you some more. Um, if you need verses, I'm going to speed through this quickly um, so you can, I can give you them after if you want them. Um, so why don't we just pray quickly? Um, yeah, so Father, we just want to invite you to come. Uh, Holy Spirit, will you come and speak to our hearts? Would you come and download your truth into us? We want to grow and to learn more um, of you, God, more um, about what we're called to do in worship. And so we just give this time to you and ask you to impact us um, so that we can grow in relationship with you. Amen. Okay, so we are the only part of creation that gets to choose to worship. Isn't that amazing? Um, and my heart really today is that we would just catch a fresh glimpse of the absolute privilege we have um, in worshiping uh, God. So Moses on Mount Sinai um, in Exodus 19, he, uh, God speaks to him and says, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then 1 Peter 2.9 says, For you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of peace, God's holy nation, his very possession. So we see here that we are a fulfillment of a promise that God uh, gave to Moses. And Jesus made a way for us um, as our great high priest. So what do priests do? Well, priests minister to God. Um, so as, as priests, we've got a ministry first to God. Um, he's our number one priority. Then to the people of God and then uh, to the world. Um, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman um, at the well, the one who had five husbands and the man she was loving with wasn't her husband, uh, she and Jesus had a conversation about worship. Um, and in John 4, 21, 23, she says, he says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and it is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. So notice here that God is not seeking worship, but he's seeking worshippers, um, and worshippers who worship him in spirit and in truth. It doesn't say worshippers who worship him in soul, so soul being our mind, our will, and our emotions, um, basically meaning that worship is not about how we feel. Um, we're to give our mind, our will, and emotions to God in worship, but he's seeking those to minister to him really, um, well, spirit to spirit, first of all. Um, and worship is an activity of heaven. We're in Christ. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So we are in heavenly places. So actually that's why um, our spirits are so often so ready to worship at the first drum of the guitar, even if our bodies um, aren't. Um, to worship in truth, truth meaning nothing hidden. So um, basically the way that we live during the week and the way that we live um, and, and, and not coming to church a different way than we, than we live out uh, during the week and also according to scripture. I remember um, being at university in first year and you know, I was 18 and I used to be quite shy, no one ever believes me. Um, and um, I basically remember really like wanting to lift my hands in worship and being like, oh, I don't know if I can. Uh, so I just want to encourage you, put your hands in front of you. Left them in the air. Okay, so it's easy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, it's biblical. So we worship according to scripture and truth. 
Um, and Psalm 134, 2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Or Nehemiah 8, 6, Ezra praised the Lord and all the people lifted their hands. So how do we worship? Um, well, hands lifted up, obviously, is a good way. Uh, Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Um, now, Chris Vallotton puts it like this, which I find is really helpful. Thanksgiving is our response to God's actions and praise is our response to God's character. So what does that mean? Well, that means that thankfulness, basically, for me to be thankful, it's me um, reminding myself, like, uh, basically what God has done. And then I can get into praise by remembering, like, what has done has, is about, like, him, and actually who he is. So God only does who he is, comes out of his person. So, for example, my company is living a miracle. We don't, never have any money, so... God provides miraculously funds for our wages. He provides, so I'm thankful. But then that comes out of his person. He is our provider. So then it leads me to praise. The same with he heals. You know, he's the healer. He saves. He's our savior. Um, So we just need to remind ourselves of that when we come uh, to thank and to praise. So thanksgiving and praise are also a sacrifice. Psalm 116, 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. And Hebrews 13, 15, through him then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. So what does it mean to offer a sacrifice? Well, it means, like we've already said, said, we don't have to feel like it. And a sacrifice has to cost us something. Um, And the reason it's the fruit of the lips is because it comes out of our mouth. So it's our speaking, our singing, and our shouting. Um, And I say shouting because the word shout appears three times more in the Bible than the word sing. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, And, you know, I think we get it topsy-turvy sometimes. You know, people would go to a football match and I don't really, um, I'll probably give the wrong example, but, you know, Rangers or Celtic or Scotland, you're like, yay, you're wonderful. You're doing so well. Come on, shoot the goal. Come on, oh, oh, you nearly scored. We think you're great. We don't, the people don't generally do that, but then we don't equally come to church and go, go, God, you're amazing. We don't do it very often. We tend to have it the other way around where we sing to God and shout for everyone else. So I um, just so want to challenge you on that. <laughs> but it's more relevant, more relevant to the culture of the Bible to shout um, than to sing. So, you know, you're like, oh, well, I don't feel like shouting. Well, that's why it's a sacrifice. <laughs> um, so, you know, when people like leading the, our meeting at the front, they're like, no, we're just going to lift our voices to God. We're just going to make some noise to God. And you're like, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm in pain, I'd rather not fill in the blank. Well, actually, that's our green light. That is our sacrifice moment to be like, do you know what, I'm going to totally do this. Um, Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. And the mirror word, which is just a great version, if you want to just get a different version of the Bible, it's not been fully translated yet, but it's cracking. It says, Live consistent with who you really are, inspired by the loving kindness of God. My brothers, the most practical expression of worship is to make your bodies available to him as a living sacrifice. This pleases him more than any religious routine. He desires to find visible, individual expression in your person. Isn't that great? (laughs) Um, So the sacrifice that I'm offering in thanksgiving and praise is the fruit of my lips. But when you enter into the Holy of Holies, 
um, and the presence of God falls, then you are the sacrifice. Um, so, you know, when I, I think about all God's done for me, I just can't help myself. I'm like, yay! Um, and actually, I, I offer my body as a living sacrifice, lift my hands in worship, and turn, like, all of my internal affections uh, towards him. And do you know that Father God absolutely loves to hang out with us? He is just, like, he actually looks forward to spending time with you. I don't know if you know that. Um, he lavishly, like, he loves you lavishly. He loves spending time with you. He thinks you're amazing. And um, when God falls, like what happened this morning, you kind of lose track of time. And you're like, oh, I have to come back. I have to come back to my body. Um, and basically, God inhabits and is enthroned in the praises of his people. That's what the Bible tells us. Um, he also rejoices over us with singing, which is amazing. And when the king comes, his kingdom comes. Um, so then we have on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Bill Johnson says, God responds with a literal invasion of heaven to earth through the worship of the believer. So in thanksgiving and praise, it's right to shout, to dance, to sing, to make a joyful noise. But when God comes and in worship, often the only right response is to lie on the floor um, or to not speak, or John G. Lake, though he says it, which I love, he says that, um, like, having an awe of God, which makes you want to walk very softly, and uh, that's kind of like that. Um, so, um, I'm just going to jump into Acts 15. Um, so, basically, the Gentiles are getting saved, the Jews are getting saved, and some of the leading uh, Jews, I think Pharisees, wanted to impose a circumcision on the Gentiles, so they call in Paul and Barnabas to give an account of what's happening, essentially so they can establish doctrine and suss out what's going on. And James um, quotes Amos and says in Acts 15, 16 to 17, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. So there's two amazing Bible, uh, Bibles, buildings uh, in the Bible. One is the tabernacle of Moses, which is just cracking. God gave him the dimensions. He built it. God is like a total architect, which is cool. And then the Temple of Solomon, which people reckon was probably the, one of the most expensive buildings on earth. Although it was small, it was like had solid gold um, inside. But God doesn't say, I'm going to reestablish the tabernacle of Moses or the Temple of Solomon, he says, eh, the Tabernacle of David. So what was the Tabernacle of David? Well, it was a tent, and nothing very startling about it. It doesn't really tell us too much um, in Scripture. Um, we know that it wasn't God's idea to build it. Um, it was David's. Um, we know that basically God, uh, David set it up to have the ark in it to basically host the presence of God and he set people up and put them in place to minister um, before the ark and um, before God um, continually, so like 24-7 praise and worship. Um, so what I wanted to do was just to delve in, um, have a look at the story of David bringing the ark of the covenant back to Jerusalem because there's a few um, key things that I think would be quite helpful for us as we're thinking about worship. So I'm not going to read it all, but if you want to read it yourself, it's uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and 15, and then 2 Samuel 6, um, and I'm just going to pick out a few verses. Um, so basically what happened was they went to go and get it. The Ark of the Covenant has been at um, Abinadab's house. Um, they don't really know what they're doing. Um, Uzzah, who is Abinadab's son, puts his hand out to steady the ark, and he gets struck dead. 
Um, and, you know, it's all shock horror. We have to leave it here. Oh, my goodness. Or, um, or sorry, they left it at uh, Obed Edom's house. Um, so, basically, Uzzah, uh, the ark had actually been at Abinadab's house for 40 years. Um, so, what happens when um, you get familiar with the presence of God? Well, sometimes you can lose your reverence for it. Um, and I think that's what happened with him. He thought he could steady God. Um, so David summons all the priests, um, gets them to consecrate themselves, and explains, you know, what's happened, that they hadn't um, carried it the way that, you know, we hadn't, um, he says in, in verse 16 of 1 Chronicles 15, we did not seek him in the way he ordained. Um, so basically, God doesn't want to be carried on a cart. He wants to be on the shoulders of the priests. I mean, sometimes, you know, in worship, we think, well, you know, I like it, so God will like it. But actually, you know, God wants us to give him what he wants, not what we want. Um, so verse 28 of 1 Chronicles says, All Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting. Say with shouting. With shouting. Okay, and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets, with loud sounding cymbals, and with harps and lyres. There's the sound, there's that shouting word again. In a heaven is loud. Just want to throw that out there. So if you think, oh, well, you know, I'm just quite a quiet person or I'm not really an extrovert. Well, I think you need to get over that because heaven is loud. Uh, I remember being in church uh, one Sunday and I found myself in heaven and I heard this really loud, like beautiful music. And Jesus explained to me that um, heaven um, had tuned in to worldwide Sunday worship. And that was what I was hearing. And what I realized then as I listened, because obviously I was, you know, I'm on earth, but I'm also kind of there. And uh, what I heard was that our worship, although continual song singing, was one note. Um, and it made up, like, it was one musical note in this whole big symphony um, of worldwide worship, um, which was pretty cool. Uh, okay, 2 Samuel 6:14 says David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Now, culturally at that time, dancing was something that women did, not men. Uh, so David was really breaking with cultural norms. And he also exchanged his kingly robes. Now, there's dispute about was he in his pants or not. But he was wearing a priestly garment, which was a linen ephod. So basically, he took off his kingly robes and he put on a priestly garment. Um, and when Michael is, uh, looked out the window... She saw David dancing uh, in worship and uh, we read that she despised him in her heart. Um, it's interesting to note, actually, that it says Michael, the daughter of Saul, uh, in Scripture, doesn't say Michael, the wife of David, because she was acting like the daughter of Saul and not like David's wife. Um, so he says to her, um, you know, it was before the Lord I danced who chose me over your father and I will be more undistinguished than this. Um, in other words, you've not seen anything yet, darling. <laughs> um, so he, he was an old, he was an, <laughs> pretty much, that's my explanation. Uh, so he was an old covenant guy, which always just astounds me that here is this guy, pre the cross, who is basically all about God, all about worshipping him, all about his presence. Um, and really just, you know, like Heidi Baker talks about being a laid down lover. Um, and that, that was what David um, was. He just worshipped um, and abandoned to God, didn't care about what anyone else was thinking. Um, and, you know, when I was, in, I was in France recently, and uh, I was at the church there, and I just, I sort of thought, and I thought, I was there, and I was thinking, man, these guys could teach us something about dancing. So they had, like, their seats were kind of up the back of the room, and they had all this floor space down the front. 
and they were like going up and like grabbing each other and they, they were like 20 folk doing like big swirls and dancing and I was just like, great, this is so fun. And they had flag waving. And then I sort of, you know, like all this was going on. I look over and there's this older couple who are slow dancing and worship. And I was just like, wow, oh my goodness. So I just really want to encourage you, if you love to dance, I just want to encourage you to go for it. We really need to um, have some breakthrough in dance as a family. Um, and it does shift something. It brings freedom and it shifts something in the atmosphere. Um, so back to the story. Uh, we basically read um, that all of Israel brought up the ark. So what was Michael doing in the window? Uh, basically, she chose to remove herself uh, from the party. And how many of you have ever, I mean, I've done this, you, when you look at worship and you watch other people doing it, you're just like, oh my goodness, what are they doing? That just looks a bit wild or a bit crazy or a bit weird. Um, and actually, that was what was going on with her. She um, you know, was looking from the window and we had basically just despised uh, what was going on. It looked stupid to her. She didn't participate in it. Um, but also, we can watch worship going on and think that we're experiencing it. But actually, we're surrounded by glass. Um, so Michael, um, we read that she had no children from that day on. Um, and worship actually causes fruitfulness. Um, one of the words for worship in the Greek means to kiss. And uh, intimacy always brings fruitfulness. But Michael didn't know how to be intimate. She disengaged, and, um, and sadly, she was uh, fruitless. Um, okay, back to Acts 15 then. So, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Why? So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. So, David's tabernacle is the one that's been restored. Um, and when, like, as it is being, the Gentiles um, begin to seek the Lord. So, basically... Often we think, oh, well, you know, if, I'm, if we're really, like, passionate about God or Gillian Adams talks about getting our crazy praise on. If we get our crazy praise on, we sometimes think, oh, well, you know, people won't really be that into it or people will leave or they'll be freaked out and they won't come back. But actually, it, that's not what the Scripture is telling us here. Um, Isaiah 62, uh, or sorry, 6018 says, you shall call your wall salvation and your gates praise. And Isaiah 62, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, cast up, cast up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the people. So when we begin to worship, we begin to get our crazy praise on, we begin to like enter into the Holy of Holies and have radical worship. Actually, without realizing it, what we're doing is we're removing those stones um, we are clearing access for people uh, to basically get in to, to get to know God. Um, and when we shout and dance before the Lord, the Bible tells us that the humble will hear it and be glad. Um, and Andy mentioned, I don't know who was here last week, but Andy mentioned that, you know, there's been times in our worship or in supernatural school or even in small group where we have actually felt like the atmosphere um, of our city and our nation um, shift and change. Um, we know that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And uh, one story I love in the Bible is Paul and Silas in jail. What do they do? They get their crazy praise on. What happens? The captives are set free. The chains are loosed and salvation comes. And that's what we want to see. We want to see... We want to see um, rejoicing and gratefulness releasing breakthrough uh, in our city, in our nation. And then we're going to have people like the jailer saying, what must I do to be saved? Um, so worship is the activity of heaven. And God inhabits the praise of his people. And uh, one of the things that I love when heaven comes, when the kingdom of God comes, 
um, when his presence is in our midst is that sickness can't stay in his presence. Demons can't stay in his presence. And basically, that's what I want to see. I want to see us host the presence of God so that, like, we don't have to lay hands on people. Um, just, just, you know, it would be far easier. No more ministry time. Like God do the ministry. Uh, so, you know, we had, uh, we had a guy from the parish church recently in our small group. We the presence of God like fell thick and heavy in that place. We were like on the floor and a bit messed up. And I was just like, oh, we, who, who's sick here? And, um, and he, um, we just laid hands on him and he's been completely healed of fibromyalgia. Um, you know, getting in the presence of God. Uh, we, we hardly prayed, literally, we were all quite intoxicated. We just put our hands on him and I think maybe someone laughed over him. Uh, <laughs> um, and then we've been hearing stories, you know, Andy shared, uh, there's a woman in Inverness, uh, got healed, her back got completely healed. She'd been on uh, medication for pain four times a day with her back, and the pain just left her. No one prayed for her. She just got healed uh, by being in God's presence. Um, so I just want to say, at this point, small groups, they are amazing. They are the life um, of our church, and basically, it's how we do life together. It's Sunday is an overflow of what we're doing the rest of the time. Um, so I actually want to encourage you um, just to actually get plugged into a group. There's information table is the place to go. Um, but we, um, basically, the Bible tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. And actually, that's just what I love to do. So I, you know, at our small group, we're like, we worship and praise like every week because it's just like, I need this. I need to be in the presence of God with other believers. Now, um, so if, you, if you're thinking, do you know what, I want to... I want to practice, or I, you know, I want to be immersed in doing this, or I'm not too comfortable, or, you know, actually, we need, we've all got different love languages, and um, we need to, we need to learn what works for us, and actually, so we need to practice, so, you know, sign up for Supernatural School, we worship there loads, get along to Monday Night Worship at the Hub, um, get together with friends and worship God, worship in your car, when you're commuting, wherever you go, and just, get your crazy praise on in your house, go crazy. No one's there to see you. And actually what then happens is that's our lifestyle. So we get together as a family. We're just like, it's easy to get into the presence of God because we've been doing it the rest of the week. Um, Isaiah 66, one says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the place of my rest? God is looking for somewhere to land. And, uh, you know, we've probably heard it from the front here loads of times, Andy's always seen it, that we want habitation, not just visitation. And so we're learning, learning to host the presence of God. And, you know, I love reading stories of things that have happened in the past. So, like, um, in Azusa Street, they basically hosted the presence of God, and it was, like, manifest cloud in their midst. And they had, like, tumors couldn't stay on people's bodies, so they burst off. And there are people who would like go about with like mops and buckets cleaning up the mess. It's pretty disgusting, but but amazing. <laughs> How cool would that be? How cool would that actually be? And uh, they had such a tangible presence of God uh, in their midst that there was like stories of that the presence of God just like read like the radius around that building that people were getting off the train and falling out under the presence of God on the platform could you imagine we're here worshiping and we hear stories someone phones on their way to church and says you'll need to come down here everybody's been wiped out by the presence of God we need to come and preach the gospel so uh, could that could happen as we host the presence of God uh, and another group of people that I uh, love I'm just you may or may not have heard of them 
um, the golden candlestick. So these were a group of 40 to 50, um, mostly women, some men, led by a woman called Frances Metcalf in the late 30s, early 40s in California. And they would have seven hours of worship um, at night, basically, I think like six, seven o'clock at night to one, two in the morning, um, five or six nights a week. Um, they had families, kids, husbands, um, and basically they hosted the presence of God um, such that they had a thick cloud in their midst. Um, they basically would have, they received like heavenly garments. They had sandals and vests with, with jewels in them. They um, had a clothing that had actual real metal thread metal gold thread not just not not the color but the actual metal thread they um, had headdresses they had angels visibly appear with them in human form they had um, basically um, heavenly musical instruments joined them as they worshipped um, audible angelic voices these women were often transported out of the room uh, supernaturally sustained for days at a time and would go and preach the gospel in different places in the world and people began to find out about them as missionaries were going into what they thought were unreached people groups to find that there was a church already established there because these women had been transported so why am I telling you all this well I just really want to stretch your thinking um, because there are more and more supernatural things are going to happen as we host his presence, as we keep him as our number one priority. So, do you know what, what would happen? You know, you're in worship, you know, someone transports out of this building or en masse. What would you do, these people on the side, if you're in worship and you open your eyes and everybody in the middle is not there anymore? It could happen. It could happen. I know we're laughing. Or people could be transported into our meeting, just throwing that one out there. Okay, so Bill Johnson says, learning how to see is not the purpose of our worship, but it is a wonderful byproduct. So in the environment of worship, as we minister to the Lord, the eyes of our heart um, get opened, and we basically experience, see things, and encounter him in ways that actually our minds can't grasp. Um, and change uh, comes an encounter. Basically, God tells us who we are, he affirms us, he tells us how beautiful we are, how amazing, how he'd planned our lives, what he's got for us to do, how, why he made us, like I've said this before, but God has told me, like why he gave me the color of hair he did, why he gave me the color of eyes I have, just decided to tell me, because he loves me and he likes to share things like that with us. Um, and, and then because of that, your heart just like bursts with adoration. You're just like, I'm a son. Yay. God, you're amazing. And you just can't help yourself. Um, and, and we get changed. I mean, I have had encounters. I sometimes don't recognize myself. Literally can't keep up uh, sometimes. I just look in the mirror. I'm like, who are you? Um, and <laughs> But God does amazing things as we worship him. I um, a few years ago, uh, someone really uh, close to me was tragically killed uh, in a motorbike accident. And I basically, after that, had like a physical reaction any time that I saw a motorbike. So I spent two hours in my car a day to commute. Um, and I, I basically reacted every time I saw a motorbike. And one day God in worship here said to me, we're going to deal with that now. And I was like, right, okay. And, and I was on his knee and I can't remember what he did exactly. Just kind of like opened me up and did some like footing around and then side and don't know kissed me a bit and 
and then that was it. And then after that morning in worship, I was completely healed. Never, not have any problems with motorbikes, never had since. And, and that, that is just encounter happens um, as we uh, worship him. And it, last year um, in Bethel, I um, had, was there when the glory cloud showed up. Um, and that was just so fun. But basically what we did was the presence of God was so thick. Um, as you know, I don't know if you, you may or may not have heard basically, but there's the presence of God has been coming. There's like sparkles and cloud-like vapor swirls around and dances. And, um, and what happened was the preach got completely scrapped and we worshiped God for three hours um, because we could do nothing else. So he turns up and you can't help yourself. Um, and, you know, that things are going to start to happen like that here, just so you know. Uh, and the one experience in Bethel, I think, though, in worship, the one experience of worship that I think has most profoundly impacted me um, was I was standing, worshiping quite away, quite the thing, eyes were closed, and I saw Jesus in front of me. And um, he started to talk to me, and he, and he motioned for me to take hold of his hands. So I put my hands out physically, had my hands out in front of me, but in the spirit, I took a hold of his hands. Uh, and as I did, um, I basically felt the, I physically felt the nail scar holes in his, in his wrists. And that just like blew me away. I messed me up um, in a good way. But you know, there's a thing, God encounters us and changes us um, in worship. So I just want to say this before I close. Um, I told you it would be quick. Uh, we are a kingdom of priests. We're together in this. We're a family. We've been knit together in unity by the Holy Spirit. So when you disengage and you choose not to enter into worship, actually, it affects me as a body member. It affects everyone else here um, as a body member. And we feel it. So I just want to encourage you. Let's offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Let's dive in uh, to more of him together. Um, and do you know if you're finding that difficult... You, it may be, I mean, I, my story is that I didn't believe that Jesus was all that I needed. I had to ask him to woo me. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe, you know, you need help connecting and Sozo would be really helpful for you. Or you just need to chat and pray with some friends. Get them to ask Holy Spirit, you know, what, what's going on? How can we, like, help you connect better? Um, and just finally, then, your expectation is God's invitation. So do you expect to encounter him in worship? Do you expect him to inhabit your praise? And what would sacrifice be to you? Would it be lifting your hands up? Would it be shouting? Would it be, you know, dancing? Um, and really what I want us to do in a moment is we're going to stand uh, in a wee moment and we're going to give a big shout to God. So what I feel actually is going to happen as we deliberately do that is that actually we're going to just have like an internal defibrillator shock, which is going to realign us as priests. Because our ministry is first to God, um, and he is our priority, our number one, and we're not changing that. That's going to be, when we're after him, we're all about him as a family. He's, he's number one.